Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of BG Banter in the Curious Studio. I'm here with Dan Rigger Hoyer. Hello, how's it going? And it is Friday, April 14th, 2023, a beautiful Friday afternoon with Very about, beautiful. was it 80 degrees outside oh, right yeah, now? Yeah, 80 degrees. Yeah, instead of enjoying the sun, we're inside the air-conditioned building recording a podcast. And on this episode, today's episode of BG Banter, we're going to talk about two films uh, that are either in theaters or on streaming, that is Air, the Nike basketball movie, as well as Shazam! Theory of the Gods, the sequel to Shazam! And we're going to begin this episode by talking about Air, which is directed by Ben Affleck, written by Alex Cavani, and it stars Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman, Marlon Wayans, Chris Messina, Chris Tucker, and Viola Davis. And as stated earlier, this is the story of Nike, specifically shoe salesman Sonny Vaccaro, and how he led the company to get a shoe deal for um, up, up-and-coming all-star Michael Jordan. So it's a movie about the Air Jordan shoe, which on paper sounds like the most boring movie in history, but it's actually a lot more than that. What did you think? Oh, man. I gotta tell you, it's been a big basketball run for me lately. I mean, I think after photographing March Madness and then going to this, it's like, you know, I don't know, this must have been the whole year of basketball for me. And, um, you know... I never really have been super impressed with Ben Affleck as a director. I mean, I liked Argo and um, The Town pretty alright, but I think, you know, Live by Night wasn't really that good. And I think there are some things that, you know, I just can't grasp on about Ben Affleck. And Matt Damon hasn't really impressed me that much as an actor. But I think with this film, it's like, I think this is a story that really works in their favor. I think, for one, the script is super good. Like, such a good script. Um, I think, you know, because, you know, like, yeah, on paper, this is a very, like, boring story, but I think the way they executed and the way they added some lit and, like, some good dialogue, I think it works out incredibly well. And I think, you know, it's just, I think the script too is, I forgot who it's by. Um, Alex Convery. Alex Convery. Like, it's just a great script, and I do like how they approached um, the story. Um, and it's pretty amazing. The performances are really great. Matt Damon probably gives probably one of my favorite performances from him since Good Will Hunting. I mean, like I said, I never really felt, I never really liked him as much as, I never really liked him as an actor, but I really do say that, you know, this is, he really does a good job, like, embracing like Sonny Vaccaro and who that guy is. I mean, he almost looks like him in some instances. Um, I really did, I liked uh, Viola Davis in this film. I, ben Affleck did pretty good. I mean, I think it's just a great cast all around and just a great story about, you know, ac- the acquisition of like one of the biggest basketball shoes and like the market. Like it's just a, it's such an insane shoe. I mean, it's an icon. Aaron Jordan, man, you can't pull him off. It's too big for me, but I was really, really impressed with this film. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, even though I said on paper that this does sound like kind of a boring movie, um, the advertising did sell me in a way because what you, what you alluded to, the Air Jordan shoe is so recognizable. Nike as a company is very recognizable, even if you're not into basketball or shoes or just athletics in general, you know this brand, you know this product. And I think that's one of the big things about this movie is that it's about something that's so recognizable. And it touches in a way that I think a lot of people don't really know about the behind the scenes process of how like business acquisitions and just economics in general get made. Like this is a biopic, but I see it as more as just a study of economics, which I find very, very interesting because you wouldn't expect that approach to be um, implemented into the story but kind of you said the script is excellent it's a very very well written script um i know some i I admittedly i have not seen the big short yet but there's some people that are comparing it to the big short in a way where it sort of blends the real life story alongside with just being generally very entertaining and informative Mm -hmm. that's the vibe i get from air because it is just engaging from start to end i do really like watching these not only just these characters, but these real-life individuals go about this story, and they're all very interesting. At times, the movie is very funny, too. Just the dialogue is well is well done, and every character feels well-defined. Um, ben Affleck as a filmmaker, and as an I like Ben Affleck as an actor quite a bit, to tell you the truth. I, even though he's had kind of like some ups and downs, especially in the past like 10 years, he is, he is very talented. And I think 
too, as a director. I've only seen a few films of him as a filmmaker, uh, particularly Argo, which won Best Picture whenever that came 2012, out. 2012, 2012, yeah. And he, he, knows how, he knows how to direct a movie, too, and Air is no exception because you could tell that he has a lot of control over this project, but also lets, lets the actors and lets the, mm-hmm. lets the time period and the setting breathe and feel alive. Like, it feels like a very believable story and movie. And I guess because they are based on real people, that does help. Um, cast is excellent. I I like Matt Damon a lot in this movie as well as Viola Davis, and yeah, it's just it's just a really well made biopic, and it's not too cheesy. It some maybe could describe it as Oscar-y, but I think it's above Oscar-y because it presents a way more interesting story in a way more interesting way than say like Green Book, for example. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it just the presentation I think really helps this film because I mean because like I said, I mean I never I mean Affleck is is a very talented director. I mean, he managed to, like, pull off, like, a really good film of Fargo and uh, um, The Town. But I feel like, uh, you know, this is, like, I can kind of see a little bit of the style a little bit more where it's, like, very intricate. There's, like, a lot of one-takes in this film where it's, like, you just get some tracking shots and, you know, also, like, some of the editing really works in the film. So, even the soundtrack, I think, really works. I mean, in most cases, like, with the time period being the 1980s, you would think that it would get really overbearing with this with the soundtrack, which, you know, I mean, it's typical of, like, period with biopics or, like, period pieces like this that, you know, really do something with, like, this soundtrack and they have the soundtrack constantly in your face. Like, here, I think they really did a good job, like, using that con, using that soundtrack just to, to the advantage, but they use it in a way that's, you know, helping you feel the time period, but not making you, making it feel like that, oh, yeah, you're in the 1980s. Like, yeah, I mean, Aaron Jordan's and, you know, a lot, like, Beverly Hills Cop came out. Like, it really tries that, like, like it, it does that in the middle and beginning like that whole montage of like what the 1980s were what the time period is but I think it does a good job like really setting it up like it doesn't feel so in your face Sp- specifically the year 1984 which is when the Air Jordan deal mm. happened and like I think it was smart that all the clips that they had were from that year like mm. whether it be um, the politics at the time Reagan was president um the Apple 1984 commercial, Wendy's Where's the Beef, Ghostbusters, and all that, like that, it puts you in the time period, in like specifically context. It's not just like, oh yeah, it's the 80s, like remember this, remember that. It's just like, it's important for the story. It's telling because the Air Jordan shoe and Nike became a part of popular culture. Oh, yeah. Well, little did they know at the time that it was going to be like this big, big deal, and this is like their story of, try- of like trying to acquire that not realizing the, the potential of this. So I think it's really smart how it, it's kind of bookended like that. Mm. And for most of the time, too, it's like, because it's so focused on Nike and, like, sort of, like, the the, the the employees, the people who run it, it does feel way more believable, almost like if this weren't about Nike, it would still just be an interesting, like, character piece, just all these people in different positions and, like, their power. But coming together to like, yeah, we want to do this, like, and that's what's so important. Yeah, most definitely, and I think, you know, it's just, I think, like, you know, just showing the risk of the whole Air Jordan acquisition was pretty interesting, like, you know, that the whole, literally the whole company, or at least that whole division of, like, basketball within Nike would have, like, went down super hard economically if this deal wasn't made. They really put every single asset on the line for MJ and just showing how, just like, you know, and like, you know, like, yeah, we don't want to sell, like, a shoe to um, a rookie that hasn't proven himself in the NBA yet. And, you know, I think they really do a great job. It's like, you know, showing, like, the vitality of, this whole acquisition, trying to get Michael Jordan. And I mean, like, how persuasive, like, Sonny Vaccaro is in this film. Like, I, there's a scene where he's kind of sitting down with Viola Davis's character, who plays Michael, Michael Jordan's mother, and they're both, like, sitting down, and, you know, he's basically running the whole game about, you know, what Adidas was going to say, what Converse was going to say, um, whenever they're like trying to, you know, get 
the deal with Michael Jordan as well, because you know they were big players in this. Like Adidas, especially, was a big player. Were was a big player because they were the biggest like sports shoe brand at the time, um, even ahead of Nike. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job of, like, you know, showing that vitality of the situation. That Sonny Vaccaro is just very persuasive and, like, you know, just knowing every step that his competitors are going to take in order to, like, make make this acquisition happen. So I found that to be pretty impressive. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, too, just, like, the rivalry of the companies, too, because mm-hmm. it, it makes it very clear in the beginning that Converse was the... Um, biggest um, seller of athletic shoes at the time, right? It was no, no, it was, it was Adidas. It was, was it? Adidas. Yeah, it was I thought Converse was, it said it was more. Like, it controlled like 55% of the market. I, I think specifically basketball shoes. I think it was Adidas. Hmm. Well, was, well <laughs> they, they talked about both. Like, Converse and Adidas were like the big the big um, brands at the time. And then Nike was just sort of like a smaller, only took up about like a few, I think it's it was like 18% of the market. 17%. 17 or 18. Yeah. And it was like primarily running shoes too, not even like basketball as well so it gives you a lot of context like especially like we, we didn't grow up in the 80s obviously yeah, but um not only does it work well for those who didn't grow up but i think it it's nice for people who did grow up in the 80s like especially if you were around and vi- vividly remember that time when michael jordan was at the top of his game like the, going up to be the greatest basketball player in history like that to me that's like that sounds exciting to like see that portrayed in a movie where it's not where it, it touches on a side of it that we wouldn't really think about like mm-hmm. oh we remember the release of the Air Jordan shoe but we don't know the story behind the Air Jordan shoe and so people are saying like oh this is just some lazy way for Nike to make money I'm like I don't think so because it's not they're not trying to sell more Air Jordan shoes they sell millions of them every oh, year yeah, they do. so it's not they do. it's not like they're trying to gain more products it's like no this is a story like a story behind this and I think that's really really cool and I'll be honest, I'm surprised something like this didn't come out sooner. Just because there's been a lot of, a lot of movies kind of like that that touch upon like these events or time periods in history behind like well-known products or eras. And it's just like, yeah, kind of like when we talked about Tetris mm-hmm. last week. Like this is something that I'm surprised didn't get made until now, but I'm glad it. I'm glad it got made. Yeah, most definitely. I'm very happy that you know Ben Affleck and Matt Damon really took good initiative on like making this story come to reality and I think it works out incredibly well. I think they did it such a great job. I mean I'm guessing like, you know, some people might be turned off, I guess, by the film because the eponymous figure that, you know, the film is centered around Michael Jordan, he's in it, but you know Not really. Not really. <laughs> you don't really see they hide, they hide his face like he's um Doctor Claw from Inspector yeah, Gadget or something. Yeah, and it's also like I mean you no know, I know um, Affleck had a lot of like things that you know Jordan requ- specifically requested, um, like that if you're gonna make this film, you gotta do these things. Like they have, they included uh, Martin Wayne's character uh, who plays the uh, I forgot the guy's name. Um, uh, so it's, George Raveling. Yeah, George Raveling. Like they like Jordan's requested that that um, Raveling would be. Featured in the film because, you know... Who was a coach at the University of Iowa during the 80s at the time. Yeah, and he was also... Uh, he also coached Jordan in the, for the USA basketball team. Um, so he was sure that, you know, that had to be in there. And obviously the biggest thing was being sure about Viola Davis was playing his mom. <laughs> yeah. Which, um, so I, I'm pretty sure like, Jordan had some, like, limitations for Affleck. So I think, like, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to me that they decided not to like show Michael Jordan's face in this film. We're transitioning to a quick PSA. We'll be right back more BG Banter. Welcome back to BG Banter. We're continuing our conversation on air. And going back to Michael Jordan in the movie, Mike, Michael Jordan is portrayed by an actor, but kind of like we said, we, we basically never see his face. It's like they're intentionally trying to hide the fact, to hide his face, which in some parts is kind of humorous, mm-hmm. but... I think it was a really smart decision not to have an actor play Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan is one of the, like, obviously he's still alive and well right now. He's one of those icons where it's like, okay, no matter who you get, you can get the greatest actor in the world mm. to play Michael Jordan and you would, you would still be making, like, comparisons. But also, too, this, is, this isn't about Michael Jordan. It really like, is. It's so I think having him would just simply distract from the story it wants to focus on. Like, this is about Nike. It's about the people at Nike. And... Michael Jordan was is, a, is an athlete, obviously. So there's this there's such a great distance between like this smaller company trying to 
um, get a brand deal with this big name athlete. And so I think showing him a lot in the film would have just distracted from the overall point and the message of the movie. So, like, there were some people online that were, just, that were making a really big deal out of it. Just like, oh, yeah, he's not in the movie. Like, how is this possible? And just like, I don't know, it's, just, it's not a Michael Jordan biopic, though. Yeah, I guess that's the thing I do like, is that especially in the climax of the film, um, where, because, you know, yeah, you don't see the guy's face, you don't hear him speak, but I think the actor portraying him does a good job kind of, like, having those mannerisms down. Um, like, a very, like, a, a very young Michael Jordan. Um, the thing I do like is, like, they, they have, like, you know, kind of, like, look bored or kind of look like, you know, he's just, he's kind of attentive, but he's kind of not at some points, and... It's like he's like, I want to get these meetings over with. I just want to. Okay, especially because he's not interested in Nike, too. Yeah, he wasn't interested in Nike. He wanted to go to Adidas. Yeah, and so, like, obviously, like, Nike had a lot against the wall in terms of, like, you know, trying to get Michael Gurren to, like, be that one name that's going to, like, change their brand forever. And I think the actor, like, playing him, like, you know, just on general mannerisms, I think really pulls it off. I mean, I do kind of. I do kind of like the mannerisms he has, like, in the beginning of that scene and then near the end of that scene when Damon has, like, that big speech. Mm -hmm. um, it's like you kind of see him be a little bit more, more attentive and a little bit more, like, you know, and you kind of get the ambiguity of, like, you know, what Gordon's, like, um, reaction was because, like, you don't see the face, but I think the mannerisms really help it. I mean... No, I did kind of laugh a little bit, like, when he arrived at, like, the Nike Corporation and Sonny Picaro was, like, shakes everybody's hand and shakes my little run's hand, but it doesn't really make a big deal of it. Like, I, I kind of like that. I think that's a good thing. Like, they see him as a person, not just as, like, somebody that's going to make them money. There are some moments where I feel like, obviously, it was an intentional choice with the shot composition of how they frame Michael Jordan and how he doesn't really face the camera. There's some parts where it just... It looks really sloppy, I think. So I'm, I think maybe it's just the... Like, I have no problem with him not being the focus of the movie or, like, not showing his face, but there are some points where it looks really, really awkward. So uh, it was probably just, like, a, a cinematography issue. Other than, besides that, the cinematography is well done for the... Well, I mean, for what it is, because it's not... I'm not expecting, like, Terrence Malick, like, Tree of Life cinematography in this movie, yeah, but it's, like... Not. It does. It does capture the look of the A's. It was shot on thirty-five millimeter as well, so um, it does. It looks kind. It looks eighties-ish, like just in the the film stock, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and also, you know, I think there is like an element to like the production design that I think helps it too. Like I do kind of like the place where they make the shoe, where it's like they really call it the bullpen, which is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Like I really love that idea. Um, the whole office too just looks really. It looks nice. Yeah. It looks, it looks like it looks like the '80s. It looks authentic and lived in. Yeah. It doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like an imitation. Yeah, and I kind of like how when they like are making the shoes, and it's like you kind of see like this kind of glow on the counter, like that. It's amazing. Like it, I, it's like they literally. You know, I think that's how they make shoes now. It's like they have this like very scientific glow in there, and you know, make it very. Uh, it kind of makes it somewhat futuristic, which, you know, I, I, I let's get on. It's still, like, performance space. It's, like, you're tailor-making a shoe for, like, mm -hmm. athletic performance. So there is a lot of science behind it. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's an interesting look behind, at the behind-the-scenes process of shoes, honestly. Just because you don't really, something you don't really think too much about. It's just like, oh, yeah, they made a factory, and then you just ship them off to the store. It's just like, yeah. there's a lot that goes into that, and like, especially if it's a brand deal. And I think... It also contextualizes the fact that this was like one of the first like ap like athlete brand deals to to my knowledge like Taylor like Taylor made like around like a specific guy. I think that's also really cool well, to yeah. see. I mean, now what you're getting Kyrie's, you're getting mm -hmm. Curry's. I mean, Kobe had his shoes at, at some point. Like, yeah, I mean, they. I mean, Hollywood. It's changed that landscape in terms of like basketball shoes. Like now, every player wants their own shoes. Like it's just how it is. I mean, I don't know if I want to pair Ben Simmons, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's very nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I like that. Any, any, anything else? Um, I mean, 
I mean, I guess, and, like, you know, where do you see this in terms of, like, awards? I mean, it's, I know it's early. Very, very early, but I think there is some potential. Um, it, I think if everything ever all at once taught us anything, you don't need to release your film in, like, October through December to, mm. to like, get a Best Picture nomination. Like, I think now, like, we proved that so you can really release it anytime if your movie's good enough. Um, this one, maybe. It's a, it's a maybe just because even though it is a very good movie, it can blend in with other ones. Um, obviously, Ben Affleck has won an Oscar multiple times for... For various films, so I think that's a that's a big deal. Also, Matt Damon has a lot of big name stars in it too, so perhaps. But I think at this point, we the Oscars were like last month. It's like for at least in my opinion, it's a bit too early to see whether or not. But maybe, maybe it's yeah. it's it's a maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe like I mean, I I honestly would be happy to kind of see maybe the script get recognized. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think mean, the script would be really great. I mean, it'd be nice to see Damon and. Viola Davis could recognize too. Like, I mean, I think Damon probably put in like probably my favorite performance of his because like it's an, I never really thought too high of Matt Damon. Um, I I never I don't know what it is. I just never even been a big fan of Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. But I do really like that. You know, he really puts a lot of passion into his performance. And you know, Viola Davis is Viola Davis. She's just gonna she she could just like get. Like she could just like get Oscar nominations in her sleep. Like she's that great. Except for Woman King, unfortunately. Yeah. Like what? What is? Yeah. What is that? I, she should have been nominated for that. Should have been nominated. Yeah. But, I don't know. Hopefully, Academy doesn't look her over again. I mean, she's got one already, but I don't know. Maybe yeah. another one. I don't know. Yeah. Should we go on to final thoughts or? Yeah. Final thoughts. Um. Yeah. Eric. It's that's a really entertaining movie. I think you know, as like. Um, as a sports fan and basketball fan, um, I think this works incredibly well. I think it's just a great script, great performances all across the board. Um, there's really solid direction. Um, I was very entertained by it. It's not a perfect film because it does kind of fall into like the biopic um, formula a little bit, but I really do like that it is doing something a little bit different. And, you know kind of like having its own personality. I think that's like the biggest thing that this film has, is that it has its own personality. And yeah, it's just, it's just really amazing. I think I'm gonna give this like an eight out of 10. I, yeah, I really, I really liked it a lot. Um, it is very, very well written, well directed, well acted, well made. It's just, it's an, it, this is a biopic that succeeds because the material that it has to work with is interesting and hasn't really been tapped into. I feel like a lot of times biopics, it's like, okay, we're going to make a biopic about this one person or this one event, but it's just like, okay, what do you do with it? Like, is it interesting enough? And on paper, it doesn't seem like you could do a whole lot with the story, but they managed to do that because it is so, um, it is inspiring, it is engaging, and it is informative. And I think that's what's important. And it doesn't just follow just the same formula of biopics. It does something a bit different with it stylistically and also just how it's how it's written and formulated. So... Yeah, overall, Air is really, really good. I forgot to mention this, but it's uh, playing at Film Scene at the Chauncey or Film Scene at the Pet Mall by the time we upload this. Um, check it out if you would like to. I'm also going to give Air an 8 out of 10. It's a great movie. So we're going to move on from Air to Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which it might be playing in some theaters still. Uh, I don't know. but Yeah, but it's, it came out on VOD last week, and we haven't talked about it. So that's what we're going to do. Um... It is the sequel to the 2019 film Shazam, and it is the what is this, the 12th or thir- the 12th film 12th. in the DC Extended Universe, which is currently going through a major restructuring. So I don't know what in this film will like carry over, but it was directed by um, David F. Sandberg, stars Zach Zachary Levi, Asher Angel, Jack Dylan Grazer, Rachel Zegler, Adam Brody, Ross Butler, DJ Catrano, Grace Caroline Curry, Megan Good, Lucy Liu, Juman. Uh, Hunsu, I, Hansu, I, can, I can never pronounce his name, I'm sorry, and Helen Mirren. I didn't realize how big the cast was in this movie, but basically the plot of this movie, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, continues the story of Billy Batson and his foster family, where they realize that there's these, the, the daughters of Atlas are coming down to basically gain power, and it's, a, it's another Shazam! film. Uh, what more could you want? What did you think of this movie? Okay, I guess before I talk about this one, I gotta talk about the first one. The first one, honestly, I was very surprised by. 
Yep. I think it was not only was it like an entertaining and fun film, um, but it was very well written. I think they did a really good job with the dramatic elements in it. The performances were great from both Zachary Levi and uh, what's his name, Asher Angel. Asher Angel. Yeah. Um, like I think they it was a great. I think it was a very solid film. It's actually a film that actually got really really got me hyped for the sequel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, DC is in, in <laughs> like a big stage of limbo. I think unless you know, comic book fans have been under a rock. Um, the DC EU is basically ending. Um, it's um, James Gunn has taken over. He's setting up shop. He's gonna be ending this universe and starting a new universe. So it really does kind of have me a little bit concerned on how they're gonna reset everything um, with this. Um, and I think that was probably people's biggest concern with like Shazam and probably the next succeeding films being The Flash and Aquaman 2 because why are we going to go see a film that is basically ending the universe that never really had a good start to begin with. And I think with my general thoughts, I think it is entertaining, it is fun, the performances are great. I just think it is not as, I don't know what to feel about it because of the whole situation right now. I just very don't. Um, I think just like elements where, you know, it works very nicely. I mean, I do like that they bring in like this, these more, more like these like Greek god elements. I mean, I've always been fascinated with Greek mythology. I think it's a very, um, I'm glad DC, like, he really has a good hand on like bringing in, um, Greek god, Greek, Greek gods and Greek goddesses, like from, you know, for one, for one, Dorman and Jazam. Um, and so I think that, but this, it's like, I really like those elements, but I just didn't feel like I was as entertained as I was by the first one. Um, because, and you know, I feel bad because I'm not sure what the state of, you know, these characters or these storylines are going to be. Um, because I because this film did not do financially well and yeah. I mean we should probably get more into. But I really don't know what to feel about this film. And I think for me it's like it's it's a fine film, but I don't really I thought it was gonna be out by as I was by the first one. Yeah, to go over my thoughts on the first one, I love the first Shazam for the longest time until the Suicide Squad, the good, the good one. Um, it was my favorite DC Extended Universe film. Mm -hmm. It was just, it knew what it was. And at the time, like, I was so sick and tired of, like, the DC Extended Universe being basically, like, this edgy, like, sort of, like, oh, like, everything's so dark and serious and depressing. It was like, just have fun once in a while. And that's what Shazam did. Like, it did that well. It was entertaining, but... It was fun, but it also it knew when to be serious, and it handled those emotional moments well, even better than some Marvel films, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. So I really liked the first one, and so I was excited for the second one just because I like these characters. I want to see them go on more adventures, just like explore their powers. It's like it's just it's fun to watch, and so I was excited for this, and it got a mixed reception, which is which surprised me because the first Shazam actually I think it's like at a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes yeah, still. It's very high, and Shazam is currently like around 50-ish. And so I was going, I'm just like, okay, maybe it's just, I don't know, what, what's the deal? Like, why are people not liking this? And let's, let's just find out. And I was pleasantly surprised. This is not as good as the first Shazam, I will admit that, but I think it retains the same spirit and creativity that the first one had. I would say the problem with this movie is that it is, the plot is a lot clunkier, it tries to do it a lot, and in the end, like, it's just, the pacing is really, really rough, especially in the third act. It feels like that third act just never ends. But the build-up is nice, the, the action scenes are fun, and it still gives us the same characters that we know and love. And I want to make a, a retort to the Super Mario Brothers movie, and stay with me. Um, everyone's saying, like, oh, just have fun, just have fun, it's a, it's a fun movie, just turn your brain off. This, this is what I think... This is my, my Super Mario Brothers movie, is how I say it, because this movie is fun, but it also has a plot, it has character development, and there's substance to it. You can have fun, but there needs to be something else to it. So, and I think Shazam does that fine, because Shazam 2 is not trying to be, like, the greatest movie in history, and not neither was the Super Mario Brothers movie, but it did 
it keeps you engaged in some way with like actual characters and development and themes that was that was kind of missing from that. Like there needs to be something else there. So that's why I'm surprised that critics and I guess even some audiences to agree weren't too hot on Shazam two because I'm just like, what were you expecting? Like, did you if you want if it went super dark, I actually wouldn't like that because it's kind of abandoning the tone and like the I guess what it established in the first one. But it does retain that all throughout and. It does. It is a bigger story. It is a bigger adventure, but it's still grounded. Like it doesn't go. It doesn't jump the shark, which is important because a lot of sequels try to do that. When they try to one up, they lose their identity. Shazam: Fury of the Gods never really loses that identity. I believe that this would still happen with these characters in this. I guess in this DC extended universe, specifically with Shazam and all the other characters. So overall, I had a lot of fun watching this. It was. I said this in my Letterbox review. I liked it more than most of Marvel Phase Four which was very surprising to say. And even that's not, I'm not, it's not a masterpiece in any way, but it is a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm actually very bummed that it didn't do well because I'm just like, this, this, is, this is entertaining. This is an entertaining popcorn flick. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think, you know, after the announcement that, um, you know, the DCEU is going to be, like, closing its doors, I think people are just generally stopped going to see these films. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, what was the last DC Extended Universe movie? Um, that is a great question. Oh, with Black Adam. Yeah, That's Black Adam. Bl- and horrible movie, yeah. by the way. Yeah, um, and people say Black Adam was, like, the one that ended it, but I... The direction of the universe is going to change. Yeah, but I think, uh, I don't think it was, like, I think really the writing was pretty much on the wall already. Yeah. Because I think the DC has just been in a really, like, bad identity crisis, like, you know, because it's kind of started off with, like, this action type vision, and then they rushed out their Avengers film. Justice League. Yeah. And then they kind of like you know did their own thing like there were things I really liked about like the other DC films like Wonder Woman was really great Aquaman was entertaining and obviously the first Shazam was pretty fun but I think after a while it was like people just kind of stopped getting hyped for these movies like they weren't there was not really much hype behind them as much as like say Marvel had because uh, you know at least of Marvel you can kind of say that you know they had a general direction, something to build up to. Right now, these, I mean, these, the DCEU has been in a stage of limbo mm-hmm. ever since Justice League failed. And I think at some moments it was... Yeah, like, you're right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, every, and I think at some moments like, it's been trying to keep itself like afloat. Like, you know, like, okay, we're going to bring in more creative directors like James Wan and um, Patty Jenkins. And... It's been kind of just fluctuating between you know being really good, and really bad. terrible, yeah. <laughs> and this this happened again because the Suicide Squad is awesome, Black Adam is horrible, and this one's like it's not like awesome, but it's good. It's like I good or mid fan who ask. Um, I do like how this film does expand, kind of like what I said, it expands mythology, and also the characters do grow and mature. Like especially if you're telling a story about teenagers high school students like i like it when in a sequel they grow up like very different movie but the how to train your dragon movies for example that's an example where with each sequel the characters grow up and mature and develop in some way same thing applies to shazam fury of the gods um billy batson he's about to like grow out of the foster system and he's just like i don't know like who my who's my family basically it's just like that that emo- that angle that they follow with this movie is basically the entire emotional core, whereas in the first film it was about him trying to find his mom, which is, I know I don't want to go into Shazam 1 a whole lot just because we're talking about the sequel, but I love that whole moment with him trying to find his mom, and it's just like it's very emotional, like gut punch, like out of nowhere, but it does work for the story. Same thing here with just like encouraging to like, yeah, you're, you're always going to be a part of our family in a way, and like that's really, really sweet. It doesn't like try to go too deep into that like it is fairly simple maybe for some people just like oh you're even expanding enough but i think for the story it's telling i buy that just because it doesn't it doesn't go overboard with really anything whether it be action whether it be comedy whether it be drama it like it knows what it is and it stays in its lane when it doesn't overstay its welcome and that's why i appreciate about these movies yeah you know i still appreciate that i mean i think the passion is still there the actors are still having a lot of fun i mean i think zachary levi does like still does a good job like 
playing Shazam and Asher and Kiltus does a good job playing um, Billy, and I think it works out incredibly well. Um, I'm guessing there's just some elements that did feel undercut, though. I think, I mean, I, you mentioned like the whole family and subplot, um, like with, you know, like him aging out the posh how much, you know, I think it's a strong element. But I kind of felt that it might have been a little bit undercooked. Um, I don't know what it is, but I feel like, you know, half, like, I think it's like they're trying to be in a, like, pacing way. They're trying to get in a mode where, you know, they're trying to get things going. You know, you're off to a great start, you introduce your villains, you kind of see how big of a threat they really are. And then it's just like, you want to you dive into family stuff, and then it just kind of gets a little bit, like you said, clunky. Like, I think, I kind of felt like the whole mother thing, like with this one, like, where, you know, the foster, trying to develop a relationship with the foster mother just kind of felt a little bit rushed. Um, and not as, and I think, like, you know, they could have find, found ways to have more attention on it. Because I think, I feel like it's like it's a lack of focus, really. That's kind of what's maybe driving me away from it. I, I would argue that, I wouldn't say, I'll be honest, I don't think the problem is that this movie has a lack of focus. It's the fact that it just seems like the story they told, mm-hmm. and I'm specifically talking about the third act, and let, let me just say, I, I do like the villains too. I do like Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu. Um, Rachel Zegler, I'm glad she's getting more work. I think she even said on Twitter, like, the only reason why I did this movie is because I needed a job. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, like I, I appreciate your honesty, and, and she's good in this movie. Yeah, she's but, solid. Like, I think the story it wanted to tell would have sufficed, like, maybe an hour 40 runtime. Because I don't think the first Shazam is that long. Nah. It's not over two hours. Nah, it wasn't. Yeah, the problem, I think, is that... And I'm specifically talking about the last third, because the last third dragged on for a very, very long time. Like, once they reveal, like... I, should we go into kind of spoilers-ish? Yeah, the movie's been out for a month. That, yeah. They reveal their identity to their foster parents, and... By that point, I thought the movie was like twenty had twenty minutes left to go. There was like nearly an hour left. I feel like I'm just like, man, this is like really awkwardly paced because it feels like the movie is about to wrap up, and it just seemed like that last third was comprised of every single scene that they shot, or like there was no deleted scenes mm-hmm. for that section. That's that's the part where it gets like really clunky because like okay, there, there's this giant like dragon type monster from like the the realm like the, the Greek realm, yeah, and it comes into our world. And you think that that's gonna be like the end, like it's gonna be like the the Avengers battle when um Loki and all the ro- um was that what was that one robot or the worm thing? I don't even remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, but like those those monsters that come out from the sky, you think it's gonna be it, but then no, it's like it keeps going on and on. Then the then they bring the tree into our world, and just like so much happens at the end, just like it's kind of hard to focus on like what the goal is for all the, for the characters at that point. But even then, throughout the entire moment, even though it is clunky, there are still some moments that are very very funny and entertaining. So it's just like kind of it's sort of like take it or leave it in a way for me. I just think there's some parts where it's like, okay, maybe you could have cut out some moments because it does just kind of get a little messy. Yeah, That's I mean, probably the biggest problem I have with this yeah, movie. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, the lack of focus where it just shows in the climax because I think, like, they, the Shazam, the Shazam family, or the Shazam, as they call it in the film, um, like, I don't know, they kind of, like, not the foster parents, but the rest of the characters kind of get shoved aside after a while. Um, and then, you know, for a moment, like, Jack Dylan, Gray Troop's character, like, you know, has a big part in the story, but then it, that part kind of dwindles in the climax. And same thing with Rachel Zegler as well, and, you know, all the other, uh, like, Suzanne characters. Like, I was very intrigued by Mary at one point, but then she kind of went nowhere, and I don't know, it just kind of felt like they were really shoved to the side. It's like only one moment where, you know, they felt like, okay, yeah, they're kind of central is with the uh, unicorn scene. <laughs> Which, you know, I, mean, I, I, I found that to be funny. That was, that was funny. That, that, was, that was funny. I mean, I think the child actress playing um, the youngest, like, Dar- really Dar- Darcy or Darcy, yeah, I think, I don't know. But she she's funny, like, she's funny. I think, I think both I- actresses playing. I do, I do like all, and this goes for the first film. Is that I just, I like all of the actors in this, in these movies. Like I think they all feel very believable as mm-hmm. their characters, and they do a good job too. And 
Yeah, just I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I was excited, just because like I like spending time with these characters. And it's not often that I really say that just about movies. Like, yeah, I just want to like be around them in a oh, way. Yeah, and like, but of course, there's still like a story. There's still stakes too. That's what's important. Like, there's they the movie gives them things to do. So yeah, it's just it's it's one of those instances. But we're gonna transition to a quick grand spot and we'll be right back with more BG banter. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing a conversation on Shazam: Fury of the Gods, and we kind of alluded to this in the beginning, of, in the beginning of this discussion. But this movie did not do well financially. Unfortunately, I can't say the exact titles or the dollar figures, but it did not really make a profit. Or if it if it did, it was very very little. Which I wouldn't say I'm shocked because it's not like the first Shazam did like Avengers level box office gross. But it is surprising just how poorly this movie did. And with some somewhat fine marketing, the marketing wasn't great. I remember seeing one like a few trailers yeah, for I it. Saw one. Yeah, I mean, grant, granted, when when I'm here in Iowa City, I'm mostly at film scene. They don't play movies like Shazam: Fury of the Gods. But even when I was back, when I was back home for like break, um, and I, and I was at an AMC theater, they didn't really show this trailer a whole lot. I feel like, or if they did, it was just like the one trailer. So. Yeah, maybe it is just DC fatigue or just now people realize because it's so publicized, which is like how the DC management is as well as, I guess, Warner Brothers as a whole, that this movie basically bombed. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, like I said earlier, like the writing was pretty much on the wall, like half the Justice League. And, I, you know, and, and yeah, Black Adam definitely killed it. <laughs> I don't even think Black Adam did that bad, though. What I mean, the, it, it didn't do that bad, but the, like, whole, like, negative attention toward it really, like, really just made people turn away even more. Because, um, you know, there were, like I said, there were some successes, like, post-Justice League. Yeah, but Black, sorry, Black Adam made more money than the first Shazam, which is surprising. Yeah, it, it did, but um, it still wasn't what they were expecting. Um, I think it's still a break even somewhere, but um, but I think the negative attention toward it like really, you know, made people lose more interest in the DCEU. Um, because I think after that film was released, like Gun came on, yeah, and started well, setting up shop. And technically, Black Adam is a spinoff of Shazam because yeah. he's a he is a Shazam villain, even though Black Adam or Dwayne Johnson wanted to fight Superman, just like you're not a Superman villain. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. You're not. I mean, the dude's all grasping straws with the Moana live action remake. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I can't believe that's happening. I... Yeah, but um, I, don't know, I mean, I mean, it's like I always back to the rock in many areas, but I think that's where it's like somewhere. But uh, I do think that you know they. I mean, I think that people have to stop watching this, and you know, with all the negative attention going around with the Flash film due to Ezra Miller's antics, um, and you know. The, and you know maybe a Pokemon. Oh yeah. I'm I'm curious how that's gonna do financially. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really curious. curious. Yeah, I'm and you know I'm just like seeing a very sad end <laughs> to this whole like extended universe. What's well, not even like it's not even like an end. It's like because they're restructuring it, but it's just like this is kind of the problem I have with the New Mutants in a way. Which have you seen New Mutants? Yeah, I've yeah. Seen it. New Mutants like. That first of all, that production was just an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Like holy cow! But like in the end, it's like by the time it got released, the whole wave of like Marvel and Fox had changed to the point where it's like, what's even the point of watching this? Nothing. Yeah. None of this is gonna matter. So I think that's the mentality people have, especially with Shazam, because not many. I don't even know what James Gunn said what said about Shazam, what his place will be in the future for the DC universe. So we might not have more Shazam movies. Which is a shame because they're probably one of the best things to come out of this yeah. universe. So maybe some people are just like, well, maybe there's just no point in seeing this. Also, and not to really get on like off topic, but I know Zach Levi said some stuff on Twitter that people didn't really agree with. So maybe that's a yeah. I mean, that's a thing. I mean, I think that might that could be a contributing factor. But I I even if Levi didn't have this lot because I wasn't even aware of this. Like, I mean, sometimes I'm just ignore the Twitterverse and. I don't think that alone would have caused the movie to bomb this bad. Nah, I, there's I, I no don't way. Think it would have. And plus, I, if I wasn't aware of it, I'm pretty sure that's like. I mean, not to say I'm like no all knowing, but I think like you know, the writing was already on the wall. Like I said, yeah. <laughs> with this universe, and you know, and you know, I feel bad because there's a lot of like really strong 
directors. Um, there's like really a lot of really like strong directors. I mean, I think James F. Sandberg does a really good job with these yeah. films. And he's, he's a good director in general. Yeah, but he's a funny guy too. If you hear him in interviews or on Twitter, yeah, he's very um, he's very transparent. Yeah, and you know, it makes me feel bad for like James Wan for Aquaman because like you know this dude is pretty talented as well. Um, because you know the thing I do have respect for at least about DC is that they do let their creators create, um, and they let the directors really have their own style with the film. I mean, at least because of Marvel, apart from like James Gunn. I can't really list a style that really a lot of the MCU films have. Um, Maybe Chloe Zhao. Maybe Chloe Zhao. But she, she just made a boring movie, though. So. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she did. Well, oh, Sam Raimi, Doctor Strange, Multiverse yeah, of Madness. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Sam Raimi and James Gunn like, were the ones that were able to get through that like, whole manufactured like, machine. machine that was Marvel. In DC, like, you know, I appreciate that, you know, they allowed different directors to have different styles, even though it wasn't always successful. Like, Birds of Prey wasn't really that successful. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, but I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with these characters, because, you know, I've liked Zachary Levi as Shazam, and you like the Shazamily, and, you know, Shazam in general, like I think it's a fun character. I mean, I think let's say kids want to like become superheroes like that. Like, exactly. Say one word and become a freaking god. Like, yeah. And I I think I think they should bring Shazam back in some form in the DC extended universe. I don't know. I don't know if that means recasting. I hope not, just because I like I said these are all very talented actors and they do a good job with their roles. So, but I would. Regardless of what it is, I would like to see them return. Mm -hmm. yeah. if, and I hope that DC doesn't just look at the profits and be like, oh, well, that movie bombed. We don't know one Shazam movies. It's just like, no, it's just like, they're fun. You need to balance out it out in some way. And maybe James Gunn will, will make the DC San viewers more fun and entertaining because he's yeah. doing that Superman movie. Yeah, I mean, and now, I think, but, you know, like, there were, like, actors to bring back. I mean, like, Cal Gadot, I would bring back for one woman. I would bring back Momoa for Aquaman. Although he had, Ex like did have interest with Lobo, but Gunn said like you know you gotta have one or the other. You can't play both of them. Obviously, Affleck's not coming back. Yeah, obviously Affleck won't come back. The Bill won't come back. Um, so I mean it's interesting, but I think like you know I would say like you know that at least maintain the ones that did it right, and not to say Affleck and Cavill did not do it right. I think they were just in the wrong circumstances with their films. Yeah, and which you know is sad, but. I don't know, I mean, I think a lot of this really had to do with Zack Snyder's control and DC just trying to catch up with Marvel at the time, and it just didn't seem right. And, you know, I feel bad for that thing. Henry Cavill has been, like, screwed over in so many of the yeah. franchises he's been in. I feel so bad for that guy. Um, and, you know, Affleck has there now, so he seems to be doing better. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, think, I think Affleck is... Perfectly fine, not going anywhere near this universe. And I think he he's expressed that too, just like yeah, he he's which good for him, man. Like I didn't, I, I like Ben Affleck, but I'll be honest, I did not like his Batman. <laughs> I really didn't. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we want to say about Shazam: Fury of the Gods? We kind of we were just kind of talking about the DC extended yeah, universe as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing we could just probably go on the final thoughts. I mean, I don't really have too much else to say about this one. I think I have a lot to say about the DC universe right now. It did, really it's it's one of those things where it's like it's so interesting to talk about. You could be talking about like the grass being green, and you'll somehow go on to the DC extended <laughs> yeah. universe. Like it just I mean, it comes up. What happened? Our third banter episode together. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this happened so many times. Really. <laughs> <laughs> dove in to like the whole like issue but, of the DC universe. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think we're in a reflective state right now of it where, you know, it's coming to an end. Um and it it's hard to watch because, you know, these are great characters, great actors, um, great directors and great writers um involved with this. But I think it's just it's kinda sad. Like I feel bad for this film. I feel super bad for it. Because, you know, you could tell the dedication was there and the passion was there. It still had the charm that it had from the first one. And, yeah, it's a bit clunky. It's very clunky. The story is pretty soft, always bold. Um, there are some things that, you know, kind of made me bored a little bit. But I still, I mean, I still feel like that, you know, this film should have had much better attention for it. And, you know, 
And you know, it's obviously a victim of um, unforeseen circumstances. Like this film was finished wrapping up before James Gunn came and set up shop. And you know, it was, it's kind of a victim of that inevitability that you know, the DCU is gonna be changing. And I mean, I feel bad, but I, you know, I think, you know, it's still worth seeing. I think it's still worth the watch. Um, hopefully they bring back these characters. Um, these are just great characters. I think initially I could just film probably about a five out of 10. Yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. It's a it's a fun movie. It makes me sad to see it underperform because I think it did deserve a lot better. Kind of like what you said, just it came out at the t- probably the wrong time, honestly, mm-hmm. and it it didn't help too. That it just seems like Shazam as a whole. If we're talking about the first one, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are either interested or really know a whole lot about the character. But I. I, I'm a defender of Shazam because I like both movies a lot and yeah the sequel is definitely not as good as the first Shazam but it retains the same spirit and I think that's important because you it is believable you believe that this can happen in this universe and these characters do feel believable in these circumstances and all that um, I don't know if it's still it's probably not playing in a lot of theaters anymore yeah. if it's on VOD so it, check it out on VOD if you would like to or on HBO Max or Max or whatever. <laughs> Gosh, if there's another thing that's like just going, that's completely, I don't even know what's going on. The whole HBO Max situation is, is ridiculous. Yeah. So if it streams on Max in May 2023, check it out there if you would like to. Um, I'm gonna give Shazam Fury of the Gods a seven out of 10. It's a good movie, I liked it. And that concludes this episode of Bijou Banter. Tune in next week, or we're gonna have a horror themed episode. We're gonna talk about Evil Dead Rise, the Evil Dead sequel, as well as Renfield, the reimagining of the Dracula universe. Until next time, I've been Matthew. And I've been Daniel. (laughs) And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye.